0: As I read the story of his case in the New York Times last week, it seemed both heartbreaking and also absolutely ordinary. I know this happens all the time. Utico Briley was 19 years old and living in New Orleans when by his account, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yes, he had gotten into trouble as a teenager, selling drugs and running with a rough crowd. And yes, he was carrying a gun. That night, there was an armed robbery nearby, and then everything began to fall apart for him. The next day, Utico was brought before the victim of the robbery, He was the only suspect shown. He was black, as was the robber, and he wore a hoodie as the robber had, although his had a zipper and the robbers had not, and he had a heavier build than the victim had described seeing, and a beard. Nonetheless, he was ID'd as the robber, and he was stunned. Utico called a lawyer who promised to get the video surveillance and the cell phone footage that were sure to secure his alibi. The lawyer did not, and soon both were erased. Everyone, it seemed, was bungling his chances of making a case And before long, Utico Briley was sentenced to 60 years in prison without the possibility of parole. It was effectively a life sentence. Love your enemies, Jesus said. Do not love only those who love you, but love your enemies. Love the ones who persecute you. The ones who drive you up the wall. Love those who seem incomprehensible to you. Love them. Love them well. Jesus has gone up the side of a mountain with the the crowds pushing in all around him, and he has sat down there in the dust to preach. He's been turning everything upside down there on the mountainside, insisting that the poor in spirit are blessed, that those who mourn are blessed, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. It doesn't especially match with how his listeners have understood God's blessing, but he is insistent. And now he's teaching about how they might live out this unlikely blessing. And this, too, this seems almost ludicrous. But try to hear this refrain again, as if for the first time. Imagine those who have done you wrong. Those who you would go out of your way to avoid. Those who who make your blood pressure rise or the lump in your throat appear just by imagining their face. These people, love them, Jesus says. Love your enemies. If we really hear the call, it is immense and daunting. And maybe it's out of reach initially, as we begin to try on this practice of loving our enemies, Utico Briley knew there was an awful lot stacked against him in this case. He knew there was a dismal record in his city and to a large degree in our country of young black men winding up incarcerated, whether or not they were guilty. And he knew that now that he was locked up, he would have a really, really hard time getting out. Still, he tried. He had plenty of time after all. And so Utico began writing letters, reaching out to anyone who might possibly be able to help. And eventually, years on, a pen pal of his made contact with the New York Times staff writer on criminal justice. Seemed like a good connection. But Emily Bazelon, the the journalist, gets tons and tons of mail. And much of it, she laments, goes unread. But despite Utico's case and his plea for help being Utterly normal for what she sees every day. Emily decided, I think almost on a whim, to respond. And so Emily and Utico began to correspond. They, they talked about his case, yes, but they also traded stories about their families and their feelings about particular NFL teams, about the music they loved. Emily was not at all confident that she could help him. It seemed that all the windows of possibility and opportunity had closed a long time ago. The DA who held control over his fate was notorious for leaning hard in the other direction. But as I read her account of their growing friendship, I I saw how Utico became more than a case. I saw how these stories began to create a picture of him as a whole person, even across so many miles and cement walls and razor wire. I saw as her understanding grew. So she made calls. She brought her sister, also a lawyer, onto the quest, who in turn brought a whole team of students, law students from the University of San Francisco, on board. And they worked and researched and called and petitioned, and still the whole thing seemed like the longest of long shots. Jesus doesn't offer commentary on loving our enemies, at least not here, not in this passage. He just says to do it, to strive for this sometimes seemingly impossible ideal. But he shows us all throughout the Gospels what this can look like. This love takes the form of offering healing to someone who has been left out or kept out. This love is made real in in sharing a simple meal together with the combination of guests as unlikely as can be. This love can sound like us publicly changing our minds when challenged by someone calling us to a greater good. This love can look like liberation. Returning land and life and freedom to those who have shouldered the burden of the empire. Where this love gets a little more complicated I think is, is in the, it's a sort of no man's land between the people we love and the people we would call our enemies. This This gray area can be wide and murky. Maybe we wouldn't call folks there our enemies. Maybe we don't feel that fire rising up in us. Maybe instead it's a kind of cool apathy. Uh, Having given up on any sense of connection. And I wonder if this tired complacency might be just as lethal as outright hating someone, both for us and for the ones we ignore or forget. I think it makes the people in that gray zone into something like enemies by apathy. And if that's the case then Jesus is calling us to love them and to love them well. And this, this is precisely what Utica Briley needed and what was so difficult to come by in this system. He needed people to listen, people to actively seek to understand him as a person, as a son, a brother, a friend, a student. He needed people to, to go out on a limb with him in love. But this is not what we've been taught to do, not really. Not across difference, not when we sense risk, not when that connection is hard to imagine. Emily, the journalist, tracked down jurors from Utico's case. There'd been a a recent ruling that made room for an appeal if the jury had not been unanimous in deciding the verdict. And one of them remembered at the outset that numerous jurors had shared their doubts about Utico having committed the robbery. But as the juror recalled, fear of crime and violence was in the air He said that the fact that he was carrying a gun played into the idea of, you know, this is just someone who belongs in jail. The jurors didn't really know him, but he seemed like he was probably the enemy. And here, here Jesus is calling us to another way. He's calling us to the way of deep listening, of seeking understanding, of reaching even for the ones we can't stand, of allowing ourselves to be reached even by the ones we would pass right by. He's calling us to this absolutely countercultural idea that no one is disposable, not one person. He's calling us to slow down to notice, to love. He's calling us at the very least to try. And this reaching, this commitment to moving towards even the smallest, slowest, most tenuous possibility. This love is the reason that Utico Briley is free today. He served eight and a half years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. But finally, thanks be to God, he is free. He's free because he called people into that love, called them into caring and acting, and he's free because they had the courage to listen and respond. May the world we create by our living Be a little more like that, day by day. May it be a world where we remember those we have walked right by in the past. Where we reach again for those we do not yet understand. And even for those we have despised. May our world be one where we trade stories and and hunks of bread and real care until we find our common humanity again. May we live into a world where together we practice this tenacious love that sets us all free.